This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and excited to be across from me tonight is Mr. Jeff Abercrombie. Jeff, the first full week of college football, in my opinion, Labor Day weekend has come and passed as we're recording this. Ole Miss is on the football field right now. How are you doing this evening, my friend? I'm doing pretty well, Paul. It's been uh, it's been a big three day weekend, so uh, you know, lots going on, lots all around us, lots to get your eyes on. But uh, I guess I'm excited to be able to dig in a little bit with you and, and get your perspective. Absolutely. So this is the start now of our in-season coverage. For people who are maybe new to this, what we do during the season is we do NFL draft reports pretty much week by week. And that's the probably half the show each week will be a 2022 NFL draft report where we talk a lot about the draft eligible offensive prospects. We talk a little bit about what we saw, what it means, how the, you know, ups and downs and and positives and negatives. Then we do a quick segment on underclassmen in the Debbie Slant report. And then our third segment this year is going to be the NFL Rookie Report. And this year, our fourth segment is going to be the Dynasty Fantasy Report, where sometimes we're going to be talking rankings, film evaluation, or anything that we think could move the needle a little bit in terms of what we think of a player or our overall Dynasty rankings, which Jeff and I did over the summer. And we said we were going to try to bring them back periodically on the podcast. So that segment is going to be a place where sometimes we're going to talk rankings. Sometimes we're just going to talk about players, what we might've seen on Sunday. If we do a deep dive on them, I know Matt's going to be, you know, Matt was supposed to join us tonight and we're going to have three men on the show, uh, but he's having some uh, internet issues. So hopefully uh, down the line uh, he can join us as well, you know, either in week two or beyond. Again, if you have not purchased it yet, The new premium notebooks are now available. Uh, We've had a really solid start uh, for sales on that. So please, if you have been a longtime listener of the show, it is the best way to support the show. Go over to the website. SS Football is the quickest way to get there. And remember, for $9.99, you get access to all three notebooks. Two notebooks right off the top are the 2022 Scouting Notebook. It has 85 detailed player profiles already in there. Strengths, how they win, functional areas, developmental or concerning areas, NFL role, NFL projection, fantasy spin. It's not a stale document. It is a live breathing document that can be updated and edited throughout the year. Lots of players added, lots of updates as things happen this year because we know this is our original evaluation is just the start. It's a long journey between now and the draft. You get the rankings notebook, which has our draft eligible rankings, our Debbie rankings, our dynasty rookie rankings, and then it'll have next before the draft, it'll have our tiers. And then new to this year, it has our overall dynasty rankings. And as we alluded to prior, when we did those four episodes, Jeff and I, while I just share my positional rankings, similar to what the free content was on the website, but just updated more frequently. The rankings that Jeff has in the notebooks are way more detailed notes on players, 
rankings for contending or rebuilding teams. It has been a great addition and inclusion into the premium notebooks that we've had a lot of positive feedback on already. And then next April, you get the draft projections notebook. So Jeff, before we get into uh, what we saw in week one of the college football season, any quick thoughts on the dynasty rankings in terms of how you're going to, how, you know, if for someone who might not have the notebook yet, maybe just give a short uh, summary of how you're going to have those rankings in there. I know I mentioned rebuilding and contending, but anything you want to kind of add to that for our listeners who might be on the fence about whether or not to buy the notebooks, but are big into dynasty and could see this as a, a great asset. So yeah, any listeners and, and maybe they were piqued the, with their interest on our series where we were talking through um, our thoughts on each of the players. Uh, I, every single player, we didn't talk about every player on our podcast, but I've put thoughts next to generally every, you know, significant player um, for fantasy football uh, next to their, their rankings. So you can kind of see where my head's at and where I might be seeing their role down the road and, and how they might grow and, you know, are they trending up or trending down or what I might be looking for this season? So you could you could make that call from yourself as well. You know, one of, I think, the benefits and, you know, I get, I get to edit these ranks in, in real time. They're, they're the Google Sheet, you know, so when something breaks with, um, you know, an injury or, or maybe a um, playing time decision for the quarterbacks or whatever it is, you know, I, I can go right in there and um, get that up to date for everybody. So you'll see things pretty much as the news breaks. Um, give me a few days at least. Um, but as we also talked about, just context is super dependent. Um, you know, rankings in a vacuum are, you know, really difficult to do. And, you know, it all really depends on on what your goal and your focus are. So the notes really help with that. And then I've segmented out uh, contending uh, rankings and rebuilding rankings. And and you'll see some players have a very drastic difference between that. And that's because some teams will need help within the first couple of years. Some teams won't be competing in that window. And these rankings will then, you know, will be able to kind of help you tailor the focus to your team, you know, and it's not that they don't have, those players don't have a value to your team, but it just means that you might be able to flip them for somebody in the same, same spot. So you get all of my thoughts all down there and you know my handles there i've already if anybody has questions i've already fielded a few questions and I, I, it's a great talking point and you know happy to kind of you know make those almost interactive yeah absolutely and as jeff and i echoed when we did those four podcast series reach out to us ask us questions because these rankings really are just a guide they can't be a you know, they can't be a live by, you know, breathe by, die by type of thing because it, it really caters to your individual league, you know, where you are in your league. So Jeff's detailed rankings really is, is a great way to kind of see maybe what someone's rankings differ from rebuilding to contending. And then even in your league, it could be even more unique based on the context of your team. So again, if you are intrigued by it. If you have any questions about it, reach out to Jeff, reach out to myself, uh, and we would gladly talk more about what's in the notebooks and answer any individual dynasty questions that you may have. So let's get this into the first segment of the evening, and that is the NFL draft report, the 2022 NFL draft report. 
uh, version one. Let's start at the quarterback position, Jeff. And I'm going to, I'm going to kind of bring up a couple names here and then you can kind of go kind of wherever you want with, with, with these names in terms of who you want to kind of talk about. But for me, the thing that stood out the most this weekend was the poor performance by Sam Howell of UNC considered one of either the top quarterback or top two quarterback in the 2022 class right now, only 17 of 32, 208 yards, three interceptions. You don't usually see a quarterback who's regarded as the clear top one or two and maybe a consensus top five, top 10 pick, maybe even top of the draft one or two have that type of performance uh, I think it raises some eyebrows. I know personally when I watched him a little bit, I had some reservations that he wasn't asked to do a lot. I liked his game, but I thought I thought that, I thought that was a little bit limited in terms of what he was asked to do in that offense. So this definitely, you know, has me really curious to kind of see how the rest of the year plays out, at least over the next couple of weeks, how he bounces back from this. So that that stood out. Uh, the other quarterback who was considered at the top, you know, Spencer Rattler, you know, he was 30 of 39 and the 304 yards looked good, but, you know, Oklahoma really struggled to put that game away. Rattler threw two interceptions. So both the top quarterback prospects, you know, didn't get off to ideal starts. Rattler's numbers looked a lot better and Oklahoma came away with the victory. But I, I thought maybe both guys would have had much cleaner performances in week one. Um, Carson Strong is a guy who I think is probably in that day two mix at Nevada. Really strong arm, 312 yards, two touchdowns. You know, I, I tweeted or subtweeted a couple plays of him. You know, the ball just is a rocket right out of his arm. So he's got that arm talent. I think the big question for him is is the NFL has changed a lot, right? Quarterback teams want guys with mobility and athleticism, the ability to play off structure and throw on the run. That is not really Carson Strong's game. So is there a role for him in terms of a guy who can push into round one? I know we saw Mac Jones do it this year, but I think that's a very unique scenario, right? The intangibles from him are, are considered through the roof. He went to Alabama. like So to me, it, you can't say, oh, well, we just had a, a traditional pocket passing quarterback go round one. See, it still happens. I, I think Mac Jones is a little bit more of an outlier right now than the norm. So, Jeff, any thoughts on Howell, Rattler, Strong? Those are the top three quarterbacks I wanted to bring up to, to kind of start here. Yeah, for Howell, um, it's really hard because he lost his weapons, right? Um, he was in a really good West Coast offense, you know, good run pass uh, RPO operator, really accurate, you know, knew where to put the football, right? And And he's in a new environment now. And I didn't get to watch his game. Um, you know, but I, I, I think the concerns about his, um, athletic abilities, like his, his arm strength, being able to sort of take over a game on his own, it are, might be something we're seeing here, but I have to look into it a little bit more. I mean, he did really impress me with his film last year. Um, as far as Rattler goes, you know, I, I think I can echo your admiration for his, uh, in measure it, like his intangibles, his, his measurables, his, his arm strength, his quick release, his mobility. Um, and those things showed up again, right? Big arm, you know, always rolling out of the park at throwing on the run, but some of his weaknesses, I think you alluded to, he had a, he had good numbers, but maybe not the strongest game. Those interceptions were 
due directly from some of his weaknesses last year as well. You know, not having, not hitting his guys on the run. His 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 throws were behind his wide receivers, a little high. His his accuracy, just his the where his ball placement, you know, wasn't an NFL level ball placement yet. And so that's obviously something that I, I want to look for his development throughout this year. And, and we'll see how that goes. He's got, he's got uh, a good system around him and that'll be up for him to take the next step uh, to make something out of those uh, athletic uh, frame and, and measurables. Absolutely. And it's going to be interesting because I, you know, there were so few questions about Trevor Lawrence. And from my end, there wasn't a lot of questions about Justin Fields, right? And then it was kind of like Zach Wilson and and Trey Lance kind of joined the party to make it a party of four up there at the top of the draft. And like, I feel like this year, and again, I don't want to overvalue one, one week, right? It's one week. These guys haven't played football in a long time. Some of these guys, you know, last year was a very weird year to begin with as well. You know, so, so I don't want to put too much stock into it, but I do think it, it, it right off the bat, it shows you that, Last year's class with Lawrence and Fields at the top was kind of a unique thing. And then two more guys to kind of emerge like that. That Yeah, we will have guys go early, but I don't think I, I, it's rare that we see them be as clean as what we saw last year, right, with Lawrence and Fields. And I think this year we may be in for a little bit more of a rocky road where we have a week like Sam Howell just had. And, and we have moments of Spencer Rattler making poor decisions and making turnovers. I think that's, that's going to kind of be a little bit of, of what we see this year because they're not finished products. There is development still to be had there. So it's going to be interesting. And a couple other quarterbacks I just want to mention real quick before moving over to the running backs. Desmond Ritter, the redshirt senior out of Cincinnati. I like his game. I've comped him as a player to Colin Kaepernick. He started out the year five touchdowns, four throwing, one rushing. He's one of those guys where I don't know if he gets enough credit. I don't know if he can push his way into round one, but I think he's an intriguing guy that should be in that day two mix. I like his athletic ability. He's got a quick release. Uh, JT Daniels, obviously Georgia came away victorious over Clemson, but JT Daniels did not have a good first week. He's a guy that's got a lot of those tools and a lot of those, uh, you know, checks off those boxes, but hasn't been able to put it all together yet. I was kind of hoping that this week one game against Clemson, we were going to kind of start to see him kind of start to emerge and maybe be that high level quarterback prospect. He, he struggled even with Georgia getting the victory. Uh, Keaton Slovis at a USC, you know, had a really strong game. 25 of 36, 263 yards, and two touchdowns. Jeff, anything, you don't have to go for each one of them, but is there anything about one of them maybe you want to share, whether it's Ritter, uh, JT Daniels, or, or or Slovis? Yeah, I didn't get through much of their games this weekend, so I'll, I'll save uh, some analysis for uh, later on down the road. Yeah, and, and again, I don't think anything that happened this week was too different than – than the norm, right? Daniels has been an inconsistent quarterback, right? So we saw more of the same this week. Ritter has been a really good productive quarterback using his arm and his legs. I think he even showed more week one with his arm than maybe, you know, some people might've thought he had. So I thought that was nice. And Slovis is who he is. Like he's a guy who I think he's more of a West coast game manager type, but can he ride that success to maybe push his way back up into draft boards where last year he fell back down a little bit in in public perception. So let's turn this over to the running back group. And I I know we talked about this a little bit, you know, uh, on messaging, but, you know, Muhammad Ibrahim out of Minnesota was having a great game against Ohio state. 
you know, 163 yards, one touchdown, suffers. I don't know if it's been fully announced yet, but it's going to be a season-ending injury. It's going to be a major catastrophic injury. So, you know, that's uh, – Ibrahim is a guy who I thought was a mid to late day three running back, but, you know, he had an intriguing skill set that, you know, he was going to kind of be in a group of guys that I thought were pretty similar in terms of their talent level. So it was going to be things like how they played this year and, you know – the combine and pre-draft process to kind of sort that out a little bit. And, you know, man, was he making a, a statement opening week of the co- opening night of the college football, basically in terms of big games against Ohio state to then have that injury w- was really gut wrenching. Uh, I know you had talked about that. So a- any thoughts on Ibrahim, uh, maybe not so much the injury, but in terms of what you saw as a player, you know, prior to the injury, you know, was it somebody you were looking at? It was like, okay, he, he's making a little bit of, of a statement here with, with this performance. Definitely. I think he would have been probably the highest stock riser of the weekend if he made it through healthy, which is just so tragic um, because I, I think he was separating himself from a group of backs, like you said. Um, he just looked so sharp. He looked like he could take over the game. He looked like he was able to you know, be an impact player um, that the, the offense just could run around and run through. And I, I honestly think he was going to be, he was going to have a massive year. It's just the way, if he continued to play the way he played. And it's not like it was against Ohio state, you know? So I really, my heart breaks for the kid. I haven't heard anything about the the injury, so we can't really speculate there, but I really hope it's nothing too serious that would keep him from, keep us from seeing him again next year. Yeah. So it's going to be, you know, definitely a tough loss uh, for Minnesota there and Ibrahim. And we'll see kind of, you know, does he come back as like a redshirt senior? Does he, you know, does he just head to the NFL at that point after coming off a major injury? You know, that's a question that he's going to have to answer. A couple of the running backs I wanted to bring up here. Brees Hall, who's considered, if not the first, if the second or 1A, 1B with Isaiah Spiller in terms of the top 2020 running back in the country. Very slow start for him. Uh, 69 yards, one touchdown, but 23 carries. So it kind of it kind of shows you that no matter how talented somebody is, part of getting going in the ground game is always going to be that offensive line. So, you know, Brees Hall didn't have a lot of room to really make big plays. Uh, you know, so that stood out a little bit. But the other two things I really want to talk about is one was the Oklahoma backfield. And this is an interesting one because – you know, Eric Gray, the, the transfer from Tennessee, is a guy that I'm very high on. And I kind of thought he was going to seize control of that backfield sooner rather than later. You know, but in this game, Kennedy Brooks rushed the ball for 14, 14 carries for 87 yards. Eric Gray had nine carries for 27 yards. So if he's going to seize control of that backfield, I think it's going to take a little bit of time if week one showed us anything. You know, and and Brooks has been the the more familiar guy in that backfield is more comfortable right now, so I think Gray might have to be a little bit of a late a late riser than maybe a guy who who jumps out of the gates really rolling. So I thought that was something to definitely take stock of. And then Zach Charbonnet out of UCLA, this is a guy who was a former big big time recruit to Michigan. Never really got it going there. And then this week for UCLA, 11 carries, 117 yards, big plays. I, 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 he reminded me when I was watching him play for people who can think back a while ago, his body type, his size, the way he was making runs, bouncing off of guys, reminded me a lot of Maurice Claret way back when from Ohio State in terms of like the size component, right? We don't really see, 
you know, like just kind of pinballing his way, but like really quick feet. Like once upon a time, that was Maurice Claret way back when in, in Ohio State. And Charbonnet is a guy that when I wrote 27 profiles at the running back position for the scouting notebook, I didn't put Charbonnet in there right now. Like there was not much film that was worthwhile of watching. So Charbonnet is one of those guys, and this is the beauty of the of the premium notebooks and the scouting notebook is if Charbonnet keeps this going over the next couple of weeks, he goes to the top of the list as one of the first guys I add to the notebook, right? But I need I need more than one week, right? I need a couple games to kind of see what you know how he does. You know, obviously this is a big win for UCLA against a big time opponent in LSU, but I kind of want to see a couple more weeks to kind of see what he is a little bit more consistently, not make a scouting report based off of 11 carries. So he's one of those guys that I'm, I'm my, he's on my radar now in terms of, or I should say back on my radar that I'm intrigued with. Any thoughts on Charbonnet or Brees Hall or the Oklahoma uh, duo there? Quickly on Charbonnet. Um, yeah, there, there's going to be a exciting to see a lot more. I mean, I like your, your description of his style. Um, kind of pinballing a little bit choppy a little bit mechanical but um the uc like ucla won that game in no small part to charbonnet um one other quick note on Brees hall uh so you know in my notes especially as i go through from early career to late career as i scout these guys you know i've always seen hall be pretty electric down the field making guys miss down the field it looks like there was probably just less room to run this game i haven't seen it myself but uh, that's one of the things I actually look forward to looking at uh, when I scout running backs is to, you know, see how do they deal with um, a lot of traffic around the line of scrimmage. Um, so this actually might be a really interesting game for me to kind of go back to and and see how he's evolved as maybe a back who's even though a little bit smaller, he could actually maybe be a full full workhorse back in at an NFL level as the NFL goes to acceptance of smaller backs. So. Um, one thing that did stand out there, though, four catches. Um, his hands are amazing. Um, I love how he plucks the ball out of the air off outside his frame. Good hands. Just really electric after the catch. So, you know, that's something that I think is going to be a major factor um, as we go through the season and, and we start going into the NFL draft and see that versatile skill set he brings. Um, a note on Eric Gray. You know, yeah, it was a slow start, but he did show some skills there. He had one really nice run weaving through traffic and an impressive, just impressive stop start ability. His, uh, he just stopped right on the sideline, had defenders go right by him. And only, it was only, he only fell to the ground because his offensive lineman got bumped into him from behind. Otherwise he might've had like, you know, he might've stretched that run out a little bit further. Um, so Eric Gray, you know, let's watch it as, as the, the season goes on. Kennedy Brooks looked really, really good though. So, you know, it's, it's one of those situations where you have a really good back on the team and, and maybe you have a couple really good backs on the team and maybe you don't get massive production um, from Eric Gray, but he might still show enough in the reps that he does have for us to be intrigued by him come draft day. Yeah. And I think that Gray Kennedy Brooks duo is going to kind of be an intriguing one, similar to like last year when Trey Sermon left Oklahoma and went to Ohio state, it was right they kind of started out the year very much in a dual committee, 
you know, Sermon really didn't seize control of that backfield to much later in the season. And I, I kind of maybe see that Gray's talent is eventually cream is going to rise to the top, I think. And, you know, when you watch him play, I think just on straight film alone, you see traits, you see characteristics that Kennedy Brooks just doesn't have, right? That play you were talking about, Kennedy Brooks can do that on the side, right? That's Eric Gray has that skill set to do things like that. And his receiving capability is, is really uh, something that I think is going to intrigue NFL teams as well let's take this over to the pass catchers we'll start with the wide receivers because really only one tight end that i kind of want to hit on uh the ohio state duo i don't know what more there is to say i feel like every every week we're going to be able to talk wide receivers and if we want we could start with the ohio state duo chris olave four catches 117 yards and two touchdowns garrett wilson five catches 80 yards and a touchdown they're my number one and number two wide receivers i think garrett wilson everything about garrett wilson is smooth uh in and out of breaks releases uh, his footwork, body control, ability to adjust. He reminds me so much of Calvin Ridley and Chris Olave. Great route runner. Got the speed to to win vertically down the field. Everything about him. I thought he was going to come out last year and was going to be a late round one, early round two. Now I think this year he'll push himself even in higher into that. I could see him going in the teens or, or low 20s as well. So they're my favorite two receivers of the group. Uh, and they did not disappoint. Another top-level wide receiver uh, headed into the year who did not disappoint either was Drake London out of USC, 13 catches, 141 yards. When I watch him play, I, I put this out on Twitter. It's in the scouting notebook as well. Part Mike Evans, part Brandon Marshall. At the catch point, the physicality, the ability to go up and get, the catch radius and the length reminds me of Mike Evans. But this guy's got pretty nimble feet for a guy who's 6'5", and he's – he does a lot of work in the slot and after the catch, a lot like Brandon Marshall did for all those years uh, for Denver and then the other teams he played for, the Bears and stuff like that as well. Uh, so those three guys came right out of the gate hot. John Mechie, another guy who's in the top five, top seven wide receiver mix, uh, six catches, 76 yards, and a touchdown. So those are the four big names I kind of wanted to hit on there. Jeff, any thoughts on either the Ohio State duo, London, or Mechie? Yeah, it was really fun to uh, see the Ohio State wide receivers just all over the field. It it, it was just an insane stat line to see uh, just 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 long touchdowns, right? So you're just like, how many how many pass attempts there? Um, Chris Olave, I mean, I I love watching him just the same way I loved watching Devontae Smith. He's so smooth. I don't know if he's going to be the top wide receiver taken similar to the same way that I think, you know, even after the greatest, you know, football wide receiver season of all time with Devontae Smith, and he was still the third one selected at NFL draft day. I do know have that like a little worries. He, he looks, he looks like his size and frame out there a little bit skinny. I don't know if those, those will come to, you know, murmurs or concerns around draft day. Um, you know, it might be something that we see Garrett Wilson go ahead of him for that reason, even with a more productive year from Alave. Yeah, I mean, I think those guys are going to flip flop. I think it's going to be, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what NFL teams think of them. I think some teams will have Alave ahead, some teams will have Wilson. To me, the only comparison I can make is what teams thought of Jalen Waddle and Devonta Smith. Right? It's some teams are going to prefer this, some teams are going to prefer that. Uh, I'd be stunned if they're not both round one. Uh, draft picks if if all goes as well. Nobody gets hurt between now and next April. Uh, a couple other guys I wanted to mention, if you had any thoughts on. 
Joseph Nagata out of Clemson is a guy who's been a real hot name in the Debbie community for years and never really uh, materialized. But now, yeah, Justin Ross has come back, but he's coming off a major neck injury. Uh, I know Clemson really struggled in that game the other day, but Nagata had a couple of big plays, went over 100 yards in the game, six catches. So I thought that was nice to kind of see him, even in a game that Clemson's offense really, really struggled. He still produced numbers. And I think once Clemson, I think, strains out and gets their O-line, you know, a little bit more situated and not going against a powerhouse defense like Georgia, you're going to see Clemson still put up monster numbers, which I think you're going to see uh, Nagata really potentially rise up there and be, you know, a, a one B to Justin Ross. If Ross can get back to what we know his skill set is. Uh, Jahan Dotson out of Penn State, the burner, hundred over 100 yards and the touchdowns. His ability to be a vertical slot playmaker, I think, is going to really intrigue NFL teams. This draft has a whole bunch of those guys that will that I talked about on the wide receiver show, and we'll talk about throughout the year. Uh, Dante Demas out of Maryland, six catches, 133 yards and a touchdown. He's a he's a guy who's a little bit under the radar that I don't think is getting enough attention. But as the year goes on, I know there's a an underclassman wide receiver there that people are very high on, but I think uh, people are going to start to realize that they have another wide receiver in Demas that is intriguing as well. And then Wendell Robinson is a name I wanted to bring up because he's been a name in the Debbie community for quite some time, started his career at Nebraska. Now is at Kentucky. Uh, he's been part running back, part receiver. He says he wants to just be a slot receiver there, but I'm sure he'll be an offensive weapon this week to start his uh, Kentucky career five catches 125 yards and two touchdowns he's a an electric playmaker with the ball in his hands but he could also get vertical him and Dotson are, are kind of two of like four or five guys that I'm really intrigued with in terms of that offensive weapon slot receiver but can get vertical win after the catch those guys are, are really intriguing to me in terms every NFL team is looking for those types of guys. So I'm going to keep my close eyes on Dotson and Robinson throughout the year because they're going to be making electric plays, I think, week in and week out. Jeff, any thoughts on any of those guys I mentioned? Nothing more that than you really had to say there. Just maybe keep let people know that you know those that production matters as they go through. They become those their go-to guys on the team. They start taking you know, over the the role of the engine of the team and how they move the ball. And so it's really good to see a couple guys really stand out this week. And, you know, we could just keep an eye because if they can string that together over the season, you know, they can really be strong risers. Yeah, and I think what's really going to be interesting is like when you have a, a bunch of guys and the other guys – that are that are in that mix there with Wendell Robinson and, and Jahan Dotson. Uh, you have Reggie Roberson. You have Aeneas Smith. So there's a lot of guys that are very similar. So when I watch these guys play on Saturdays, I'm looking to see if there's anything that stands out and differentiates them between those guys, right? Is there something else that that differentiates differentiates these guys because they are very comparable in terms of what their skill set is. They're great movers. Uh, so keep an eye on that when you're watching these guys play. And then the final guy I want to talk about for this week's NFL draft report is Grant Calcaterra. And there was not another player I was happier for uh, from week one of the college football season than Calcaterra, the former, the former Oklahoma tight end who had to retire from football uh, due to injury concerns, back playing football for SMU. And in his first game at SMU, three catches, 52 yards and two touchdowns. And he literally picked right up where we last saw him making plays, getting down the seam, attacking the seam, body control, ability to adjust, speed for the tight end position, really intriguing. You know, 
think Dallas Clark type player. Like I, again, I don't know where he is at and what and what scouts are going to think of him based on his time off. But it was really intriguing to see him hit the ground running there for SMU. Jeff, any thoughts on Calcaterra or if there's another tight end or anybody else that you know that maybe I didn't bring up that you wanted to mention? Welcome back. We missed you. <laughs> uh, one, one quick, before we move on, you, you mentioned, uh, you know, just to backtrack really quickly to the wide receivers, you mentioned Aeneas Smith. He also had a really good game, actually, um, from the, the chatter that I saw. Eight catches, 100 yards, two touchdowns. Um, so he, he actually started, he made a pretty big mark for week one as well. Yeah. And I'm glad you, I, I had that on my paper and I just I read right over it when I mentioned his name. So I'm glad you brought it up. And the intriguing thing about him is he doesn't even have a track record of a top level statistical season. And what I think we're going to see from him this year is again, I'm not going to go on a diatribe about him, but I think we're going to see Aeneas Smith make a very much Kadarius Tony like breakthrough. Kadarius Tony was more of a, a role player, do a little bit of this, do a little bit of that. And then last year he took off as a wide receiver. I think that could be Smith this year if he really is used more as a true wide receiver. And just like Kadarius Tony was maybe the best mover and the best after the catch guy in last year's draft class. I think that's going to be Smith this year too. So really he's another guy that I think if you don't know the name, because if you're into market share and stuff like that, he doesn't have any of that prior to this year. He doesn't have a breakout age, right? He, he hasn't done much. He's going to be a guy you're just going to keep hearing about and hearing about throughout this year. So uh, I think that's going to be someone that we keep a close eye on here at Saturday Sunday. Cause just in the film that was available, he still was in my top 12 wide receivers because of how much I was intrigued by him in what I think is a really strong wide receiver class again. So let's spin this over to the Debbie Slant report here where we talk about a couple underclassmen. And, you know, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about Bryce Young, the quarterback out of Alabama. I mean, Matt and I were talking off air recently that Alabama used to just be the best and they didn't even have top quarterback prospects. Now they're now they're recruiting top quarterback prospects. Now they're producing first round quarterbacks, you know, Tua, Mac Jones. I mean, Bryce Young is going to be on the trajectory. First game, 300 over 300 yards, four touchdowns. Uh, you know, on the flip side, you know, uh DJ Ukulele from Clemson and I when he played the last time, I I got the name perfect, so I'm gonna have to work on that for for next time. But he really struggled for Clemson this week, and again, not all on him. It was part a lot of it was the offensive line, but he's a guy that you know was looked at as as a future superstar, and I still think he still very much think he will be. But obviously, he really struggled this week, so at least it's just, it's got to be at least acknowledged if we're going to acknowledge how good Bryce Young looked. Uh, C.J. Stroud, another top quarterback underclassman prospect just under 300 yards four touchdowns uh obviously for rowing to those duo wide receivers stroud's probably going to put up a lot of gaudy stats uh bj robinson at the running back position i love before jeff when you talked about Brees hall and the receiving capabilities bj and robinson had 100 yards rushing and a touchdown in in a weird way that's almost a slow game for him because what we know he could do but then like if you somewhat contain him in the run game what does he do? Four catches, 73 yards, and a touchdown in the passing game. Just a very complete player. To me, he's the best running back in, in college football if we're not talking, you know, what year they're draft eligible in. So he he hit the ground running. And at the wide receiver position, Keishan Abuti, many considered to be one of the top wide receivers in the country. Nine catches, hundred over 140 yards, and three touchdowns for LSU. 
really high performance. And then Rakeem Jarrett, the other wide receiver from Maryland, six catches, 122 yards and one touchdown. So a couple guys that are really high up in your Debbie rankings at, you know, the wide receiver, the running back position, hit the ground running right out of the gate. Jeff, any thoughts on, on the quarterbacks or Robinson uh, or the wide receivers? Um, I haven't gotten too far down into these guys yet. Um, I just remember the, the days when Alabama was uh, sending A.J. McCarron to the NFL draft. So, you know, obviously to be able to see these guys come in young too and take a couple years um, at top end production. So for Bryce Young, you know, this is definitely one guy that I'll just enjoy when I'm I'm watching through all these scouting like John Mechie and whatnot. Um, yeah, I mean, you, you couldn't have a conversation without um booty you know just that i it's just insane stats and then um myers i think myers the, the tight end from notre dame actually had a huge game um so really looking forward to seeing you know what he does this year um and, and just kind of how he starts to solidify himself in the draft class yeah and i'm really glad you brought up uh myers because the other thing that we should have mentioned is Many people consider Myers the second best tight end in terms of Debbie, but many consider the number one tight end, Ari Gilbert, who Georgia is maybe using as a wide receiver, but he's still mostly got tight end designation in terms of fantasy and stuff like that. And he's kind of, he, he's been missing for personal reasons, but it's been very open-ended in terms of when is he going to return? Is he going to return? What is, what's the plan there? And And I think it's really intriguing because this is a guy who, Gilbert has the skill set that's that's maybe not Kyle Pitts, but it could be close to Kyle Pitts, right? I mean, in terms of what we saw just from his freshman year. So it's going to be really interesting to kind of see when, you know, Gilbert kind of reemerges and if we if we get any more clarity, but but Myers is a guy who Notre Dame has kind of been a little bit of a factory throughout, you know, the last couple of decades in terms of making tight ends. Uh, they've they've sent a lot of, of really solid ones to the NFL for sure. And Myers is, is I think has the most upside and intrigue of, of all of them. And that was obviously a great game last night, Notre Dame, Florida State. Uh, and Myers is a guy we're going to be hearing from a lot, probably going to be one of the top producers in terms of passing for that Notre Dame offense. Uh, so he's a guy who we got to be really keeping a close eye on. And again, some of these tight ends, I, I wouldn't mind being aggressive and getting them in, in your Debbie drafts. I mean, think about what, how high Kyle Pitts went in rookie drafts. And I know that was rare. And maybe these guys don't make it to that level. But even if even if they're on the Noah fan, TJ Hawkinson, you know, rookie draft, you know, kind of spectrum, and they might even be above them, those guys still went mid to early mid first round to early second round in most rookie drafts. You know, obviously the draft class matter depends and stuff like that. But, you know, sometimes in Debbie, I feel like you can get these tight ends because people just think it's so far away and and these and tight ends such a hard position. But I think Gilbert and Myers are two guys that their skill set is really intriguing that now might be a time to kind of strike, get them on your Debbie team now and just kind of wait it out. Uh, for sure. So quick Debbie slant there uh, to, to kind of talk about some of these guys. Uh, I know when Matt pops on uh, in the future, uh, he always enjoys uh, going through the Debbie slant because there's a lot of guys that kind of start to emerge where he watched them as high school kids and, and then they start to finally, uh, you know, make some noise. So I know this is right up his wheelhouse as well. If we take this to the NFL rookie report, obviously 
you know, nothing, you know, no games yet have been played as we're getting ready for week one of the NFL season. Uh, but I do think the preseason is coming on. You know, I think we've seen some intrigue in terms of guys getting hurt. Uh, you know, we lost Travis Ethian. We're going to get a little bit into what that meant in terms of the overall dynasty rankings in a few minutes in the final segment. Uh, Jamar Chase has had his struggles in terms of that. I'm not putting too much stock into that. Devonta Smith was hurt. Rashad Bateman's injured. Kadarius Tony hasn't been seen from much. You know, so guys that I would say right now, prior to the season starting, who have stock up. Ramondre Stevenson looked fantastic. To me right now, he's a guy that I'd be wanting to get some stock in in terms of dynasty leagues. So Ramondre Stevenson stock up. I think, well, I think Damian Harrison will be the lead in that backfield. I do think Ramondre Stevenson is going to be a part of the mix there. And if anything happened to Najee Harris, I think Ramondre Stevenson is going to get a lot, if not all of the early down and goal line work there. So I think stock up on him. Uh, I'll say stock up on Rondell Moore and stock up on Terrace Marshall. I think those are the three guys who probably saw their stock increase the most. Rondell Moore is being used as the primary slot guy, but they're using manufactured touches all over the football field. Terrace Marshall has clearly established himself as the number three receiver in that Carolina offense is familiarity with Joe Brady. Uh, so stock up on Terrace Marshall, stock up on Rondell Moore. I think those guys are going to hit the ground running and be effective early in, early in the NFL season uh, and stock up on Ramondre Stevenson. I'd say stock down a little bit on Michael Carter, just because he hasn't kind of he kind of hasn't grabbed that, that backfield there that was wide open for the jets. He hasn't really seized control over it. So those are some tidbits in terms of the rookies, uh, Jeff, any thoughts on either the guys that I mentioned or anybody that maybe, you know, you see some stock up, stock down, or I'd also just love to just ask you with the Ethian injury before we even get what it means for overall dynasty ranks, what do you think it means for rookie rankings? Like, you know, like right now, you know, like if somebody could trade Travis Ethian and get Trey Sermon, like, is that something like right now you would rather just get out on Ethian because he's going to miss that first year? If you can get somebody like Sermon, if you can get somebody like Rondell Moore, Terrace Marshall, obviously Ethan went way higher in all rookie drafts than those three guys I just mentioned, you know, Sermon, Marshall, and Moore. But how would you personally kind of, Think about that scenario if you had drafted Travis Ethian and then somebody kind of reached out to you and offered any of those guys. I already was a little bit lower on ETN. Like he was he was kind of the third one for me behind Javante Williams. And I was already pretty high on Trey Sermon um, as well, especially after he got the landing spot in San Francisco. I'm not sure. I, I would. Um, I, I think with ETN, it's the Liz Frank. I don't know. I'm not a PT, but there's a couple good resources I follow, and it, you know it's it's a rough injury, um, and it and it does take a toll on these athletes. Um, so I don't know that we'll see the same player. Um, I do think he'll still be, you know, the the way that they the Jaguars wanted to use him. Um, I think is going to be a really valuable fantasy role. I just don't think you see a guy who's James Robinson was already a really good running back. He you know he showed that last year. So I don't know. I just don't think you could take a, a look at ETN now and and just see a guy who just takes over 
everything in that backfield. And so if you can, you can trade him for a guy like Trey Sermon, who's also sharing the backfield, but playing this year and he's got the depth chart to himself going into next year. That's something I would do. Yeah. I mean, Other- I think, Oh, I'm sorry. I, yeah. I, I was going to say I'm right there with you. And, and on my rankings, I move Edian below Trey Sermon just because I think right now, and he's below those wide receivers that I talked about as well, Rondell Moore and, and Terrace Marshall, because we just don't know what a year is going to do in terms of how quickly he's, you know, put into the mix. And if James Robinson has another good year, what does that mean? So I think there's more questions that now have to be answered. So I'm right there with you. Sorry for cutting you off. Oh, no. I, I mean, it's great to get your last thoughts there because I was going to transition over just a couple other um, stock ups. Justin Fields. I mean, everybody was really excited about him, but I think he showed more to me than Trey Lance. Those guys were neck and neck. I mean, obviously Trey Lance has shown flashes. Justin Fields has just looked like he's going to be ready sooner. Um, so stock up Justin Fields to me, stock up Mac Jones. Um, pretty hard to uh, cut uh, a, a trusted veteran from Bill Belichick as a rookie. So good job, Mac Jones. Um We'll, we'll touch, I think, a little bit on some of the stock up stock down too when we when we get into our last segment. But one final thought, and maybe something that you know you can chime in to see what you look for. It's everybody's kind of just gotten through their redraft leagues, you know, their their drafts. They might have another one, you know, tomorrow or before the season starts. And you know, this is the excitement when we all get, you know, we all want to see these guys throw up big numbers, start in our lineups, score us and you know, win our fantasy games, et cetera. You know, I, and I've had a lot of conversations in the last couple of weeks with people getting really optimistic um, about, about rookie production. The only one I actually feel any confidence with for year one is uh, Najee Harris. So even the Jamar Chase, even the Devontae Smith, even the Jalen Waddles, Terrace Marshalls, Rondell Morris, like, you know, it's not about, you know, Jamar Chase's camp. It's just that it's, incredibly hard to come in as a rookie and and demand especially for the wide receiver just demand to be a focal point of an offense I mean we got spoiled by Justin Jefferson DK Metcalf AJ Brown those are really good wide receivers and you know we shouldn't always just we should stop recognize some greatness and not just project that we're going to get that every single year so for me you know I'm not expecting those guys to to carry my team in fantasy this year. I love, I just want to see them learn the position on the field. And, um, you know, a lot of the times that comes out in the stats. Um, but, but for me, a successful season is just, you know, getting to become more involved in the offense, 75, 80 targets, 60 catches, 800 yards, handful of touchdowns. Like that would be a very successful season for me where I'd feel really confident projecting the breakout in the next year or the year following. Um, so just patience, right? You know, I stock up, stock down, but we shouldn't really be diverting too much from, you know, our summer rankings. Yeah, I'm right there with you. And, you know, I think what I probably did from the preseason is move guys around within my tiers. Like, you know, I was at the forefront who, you know, I preferred after the big three wide receivers, I had Elijah Moore at the top of my next tier. And then I was someone who was in favor of Kadarius Tony and Rashad Bateman. And then was Terrace Marshall and Rondell Moore. Well, based on Bateman's injury and maybe having a slow start once he gets back, Kadarius Tony being injured and missing time, 
you know, it was just, it was easy to just take a group of guys who I had in my one, in that second tier of wide receivers and just rearrange it with, you know, Elijah Moore and then Terrace Marshall, then Ronda Moore, and then Kadarius Tony and Rashad Bateman, right? I had all five of those guys really close in my overall big board. I still have them all right next to each other. And they were basically four through eight for me in my wide receiver ranks. So moving guys around in there was very is something that I am okay doing based on what happened in preseason and training camps because it was such a close group already. So I think that's what you're, that's what I kind of gather from what you were saying. It's like, don't overreact. You can react a little bit because it's going to take some of these guys time before they really hit the ground running. So within a tier, I think you can move things around a little bit, but I think, you know, don't go overboard. And one, one guy I do want to say a little bit, maybe on stock down and, you know, is people were very high on Amon Ross St. Brown. And right now he's not kind of emerging, I think, as people thought he was. They got rid of Brashad Perryman, but he's still not in their top three in their final dress rehearsal game while Goff didn't play. They did play the starting wide receivers. He was fourth on the pecking order. So it's going to be interesting to kind of see how that plays out. I know he's a guy that I really liked on film, was disappointed he fell where he did, but he's got a lot of fans. And there's a wide open spot there. And if he can get that slot job, I think he can kind of be an effective player this year. So that's kind of also what you were saying is don't overinflate maybe what you expect year one, kind of let it play itself out. And St. Brown could be one of those guys that if we waited out a little bit, we could start to see him emerge and work his way into that top three mix and then maybe, you know, show his show his skill set that that so many people were intrigued by. So any final thoughts on the rookies, Jeff, or, or should we take this over to the, the new segment, uh, the Dynasty Fantasy Report? I just saw that uh, Ryan McDowell uh, put the new draft average draft position out there. And in the minds of all of those Dynasty Fantasy football players, Kyle Pitts is the tight end one. So I know that fits your rankings, Paul. We haven't seen him play a snap yet, but um, hey, wisdom of the masses. We can't all be wrong, right? Well, I mean, listen, I think it's one of those things where that goes right into what you are doing in your rankings, which is rebuilding and contending. So, you know, whether it's startup, whether it's rebuilding, whether it's contending, what your plans are, you know, Kelsey's got a good few years left. Darren Waller's a stud. You know, George Kittle's a stud, you know, you could make the case for any of those three guys over Kyle Pitts. I do think when the masses are involved, they tend to a little bit more frequently go with the new flavor of, of the month or the year. So I, I'm not surprised by that data that, that Ryan put out. And I know it does match mine, but again, that was just for, if I was in a startup, I'd probably pivot to other positions instead of taking Kittle or, or, uh, you know, or Kelsey where I would. And the one guy that I might make the, the jump on if I was going to go really young would be Pitts. But, but I do think it, it's a tough, it's a tough, uh, it's tough to put him, you know, ahead of the guys that we know are already proven superstars in Kelsey Waller and, you know, uh, and killer on Kittle. So that's something that It'll be interesting. If he comes out of the gates hot, it's gonna it's not gonna look too ridiculous. If he has a mediocre year, 
it's going to look a little ridiculous because then if he just is mediocre this year and he's like the ninth or 10th tight end, well, then you just, you know, a year's worth where you didn't have that top three elite guy. Right. So, so there's a lot, there's a lot of him for him to live up to that. He has to also have a very good year this year, a very good top four, top five finish to even potentially fit into being the overall tight end one in dynasty. And that's something that, I don't know. It's it's going to be a tough one to see. So let's take this to the new segment, the the Dynasty Fantasy Spin. And since we did these ranking shows, obviously a lot has happened with injuries and stuff like that. So Jeff, why don't you why don't you take it where where you want to start it? Whether it's at the quarterbacks, I know you wanted to talk a little bit about the quarterbacks or uh, the the running back injuries. Obviously, we lost Cam Akers. Uh, we lost Travis Ethian, so that obviously, you know, kind of shook things up. Uh, I mean, we had lost Cam Akers before and talked about that, but I'm sorry, we lost J.K. Dobbins since we last talked, and then also Travis Ethian. So wherever you want to go, if you want to start the quarterbacks, the running backs, kind of get started for us. Yeah, and hopefully this gives people a little bit of an insight into what these notebooks look like as well. So um, I just wanted to kind of lock in a couple things. This is type of stuff I had as thoughts in the notebooks or in that notebook already as the season was going on. But, you know, Aaron Rodgers is back as expected and everything was sort of ranked that way. Right. So now we got a season of Rodgers, Mac Jones, you know, he's taking over the starting role. You know, I, you know, I didn't, he, he's stock up, but he didn't actually end up moving up in my rankings because, you know, he was kind of already there. So, but that's something to keep a good note of Jameis Winston. So this is one I didn't project Jameis Winston. Uh, you know, won the starting job over Taysom Hill. Uh, you know, that's that's big news for Jameis. It's big news for his supporters. I just want to caution people that, you know, he had people are locking on to his one year of Bruce Arians where he threw 30 touchdowns, but 30 interceptions as well. Be careful with that one. He's not going to be a QB one. He's, you know, look at the years prior when he was QB 22, 20, 22. So, um, but he's going to be a valuable, you know, those people who bet on him for their super flex leagues, you know, that's, that's, they, they should be able to rely on him for at least a, a stretch this year. And then just another, uh, Drew Locke, I think his, his time is sort of ending. Um, you know, I, I think they may go back to him at the end of the season for, you know, maybe if they need some sort of jump start. but Teddy, Teddy Bridgewater is competent. He's going to be, he's got a lot of playmakers around him. He's really accurate with the football, puts it right on his guys in stride, allowing guys like Jerry Judy and Noah Fant to get those yards after the catch. So, you know, I, I think we're, we're starting to see the end of it for Drew Locke. Yeah. And I mean, that was, I think the writing was on the wall about, you know, Teddy Bridgewater winning that job. I think in terms of their strong defense, uh, their coach, what they want. I just think Bridgewater offers it a little bit more and it kind of just gets him out of, of the Drew Locke business. They, they'll look whether they try to go hard for Aaron Rodgers, which I think would make a lot of sense for what they have there in the team or eventually down the line for another, you know, another rookie and potentially round one, right? They, they passed on Drew Locke a couple times that year in that draft class. So it kind of speaks volumes on maybe what they thought about him. If you didn't have the conviction to take him a couple other spots in, in before you took him, you know, it kind of makes you wonder, you know, how high did they really like him? Did they really think he was a future franchise quarterback? I think that's a good 
good discussion to have just in general at any time, right? If a team has enough conviction in you and thinks you're the long-term answer at quarterback, would they really prioritize any other position over that? And, you know, I, I think the answer would universally no, right? And again, right now it hasn't panned out for the Giants with Daniel Jones and it might never pan out, but they took him at six that year because they didn't know if he was going to make it to 17 and they had conviction that they thought he was a franchise quarterback and they didn't care what others thought. And right now it's it, it seems to be backfiring, you know, we'll see i think this year will be the final you know determination in that regard but they had enough conviction to make that and i, I think the broncos didn't and it, it might speak volumes that they've never really been all in on him they were kind of hoping that he would pan out but they never really were, were all in on him so let's kind of close the night with the, with this running back conversation because you know the injury to jk dobbins was a killer the injury to travis Ethan was a killer i know from my personal ranks I definitely had to adjust things around right now. For me, I moved J.K. Dobbins down to 18. Now, what's interesting is last we spoke, I had Cam Akers still in the the mid-teens, but prior between when we did the running back show and when I released them to the public, I had moved him down to 19. So right now, I kind of have J.K. Dobbins at 18 and Cam Akers at 19 back-to-back. I put Dobbins ahead of Akers only because the ACL injury is just – We've seen a lot of guys come back from it and, and not be affected by it, while the Achilles is something we have not seen a ton of running backs come back from and be effective. So right now I have them at 18 and 19. Uh, I think you can make the case that they could, you know, Josh Jacobs seems to be falling a little bit, but I just think it's because they don't use him in the passing game. I still think he's a very good player. So he's right above them for me. Right after him is guys like Miles Sanders, David Montgomery, Kareem Hunt. And then that's where I have Travis Ethan right now. Right there, I have Sermon 23 and Travis Ethan 24. So that's kind of where I have those two guys right now uh, based on kind of like what I was saying before about the rookie rankings. I had Sermon ahead of Ethan. That's kind of how I have in my overall now. And then right after Ethan, I have James Robinson because it's a little bit of an unknown. So I so James Robinson moved all the way up for me. He's at 25 now. And then the other big factor with the J.K. Dobbins injury is I moved Gus Edwards all the way up to 27 because you know he's going to have a big role this year unless they sign somebody. They already had committed a decent contract to him, so he's going to be there for a couple years. And if J.K. Dobbins is coming back off a torn ACL injury, who's to say it's not very close to a 50-50 timeshare next year? So I'll, I'll take what I can get out of Gus Edwards based on that area where there's guys like Miles Gaskin, Chase Edmonds, Damian Harris, Michael Carter, A.J. Dillon. I don't think any of those guys are have locked in for years and years. So give me Gus Edwards and what, what I'm going to get potentially a really high-end year this year. And then even if next year he's back to a dual backfield, then I slide him down a little bit. But I think it would be worth it because it's not like Damian Harris doesn't have Ramondre Stevenson, you know, on his heels. We haven't seen Michael Carter break away. A.J. Dillon's behind Aaron Jones. Tony Pollard's behind you know, uh, Ezekiel Elliott. So that's kind of where I, I made moves based on the injuries to Dobbins and Travis Ethian. Jeff, any, any thoughts, or if you want to share your rankings in terms of how you kind of, what you kind of did with Dobbins and Gus Edwards, uh, Ethian and James Robinson, uh, please share. So, you know, one cool thing for the rankings that I just added on my first edit is, you know, an up arrow, down arrow. So, 
you know, you'll see, you know, that way you can, when you come back to the notebook after being gone for a few, you know, from the last time, you'll see, you know, the risers and fallers at a glance. So I'm in the same ballpark, you know, for me, Gus Edwards is 29, big riser. He's going to get a year of production at really good levels, I think. And I still think he's going to be a factor, even with J.K. Dobbins coming back next year. He's still going to be there. James Robinson, again, huge riser. We saw what he did last year. He's still not in that RB1, RB2 territory, I think. But he's he's RB, you know, he's at 26 for me. He was a huge riser. Um, as far as the J.K. Dobbins, Cam Akers, Travis Etienne, and then, you know, I've, I've kind of slotted Trey Sermon above Akers and Etienne, but one spot behind Dobbins. Just and, and that, you know, when I make this argument, I might have to flip-flop this, but the one argument I wanted to make, the running back shelf life is the shortest for any of the positions in, in football. And you're, you're going to maybe get four or five good years if you're really lucky, right? You know, some, some will get you a little bit farther than that, but, you know, if you're getting four or five years out of production out of them, you know, you're getting your money's worth. And one missed year is 20% of that production. So 20% of the value is gone just by missing a single year. They, you can't value them at the same spot they were before. You, you can't, you know, that you're not getting that, that value from them that you were hoping for this year. And so that's why they go down in the rankings. And it's, it's not that I think they're bad players. You know, I really root for them to come back. I do have concerns about ETN and acres. I don't have as many of those concerns as JK Dobbins. You know, I think part of the value of acres was that they, everybody expected him to inherit, you know, a workhorse role for the Rams. And even if he comes back and he can play next year and, and he still has at least some of that explosiveness that, that we saw towards the end of last year, I, they're not going to give him a workload coming off an Achilles injury. He's going to split with Daryl Henderson. So you, you can't value him the way that you were going to value him. And if you get any of that, you know, if you're able to trade him for any of that sort of, somebody hoping that he's going to be what he was, you know, next year, you've, you've just got to take that. You trade him for Trey Sermon, get the production now, and you still get some upside for the future. Um, same thing with Dobbins. I, you know, he's, it kills me because he's one of my favorite players to lower him in my rankings. I think his road to recovery is a little bit more straightforward. Like, again, I don't think we've heard too many of the details of his injury, but you know, that the hyperextension, it didn't look you know, as bad as say like Joe Burrow's knee injury last year. Um, and so I'm hoping he comes back and he's, you know, he's not going to be expected to be leaned on. We never expected that from him. We expected a guy who could be extremely efficient, maybe start adding on some pass catching value in that Baltimore offense. He got hurt on a screenplay. Maybe he starts coming in next year and factors in and, and, and maybe starts to recover that value a little bit again but you know we're gonna have to wait a year to see it and you're gonna miss that year of production yeah i mean i think you make a really strong argument there to the point where i think i could see myself moving acres down a little bit because listen we we know what the rams are willing to do right they they're willing to trade a fourth round pick to go get sony michelle they have darrell henderson there a torn achilles you know is something that is it's hard to you know 
come back from. And you said this year's a wasted year. Next year, I doubt he hits the ground running as the workhorse. That if if you can get some of these guys, right? That even if people have concerns about Josh Jacobs, if they have concerns about David Montgomery, well, if you get two years out of them and and Cam Makers is not even an RB2 next year, you know, then isn't that a, a net positive, you know? And then, you know, if you end up losing three years down the line, I, I think that's something that you might be willing to be okay with. So it's definitely interesting. Uh, Jeff really enjoyed the looking through the, the rookie report there. And then the new segment, the dynasty fantasy report, because I do think there's so much to constantly talk about in terms of dynasty rankings, in terms of evaluation, development of skill, uh, so I'm really excited for this segment each and every single week to kind of keep an eye on these NFL players that we've been talking about. Uh, some young players, some old guys, but just a lot of uh, interest in in keeping what we talked about over the summer kind of alive and going throughout the college football season and the NFL season as well. Uh, so again, guys, if you enjoy what Jeff and I have been talking about, if you've been enjoying the discussion on the 2022 rookies you've been enjoying the rookie rankings the overall dynasty rankings please get over to the website ss football uh it's the easiest way to get there check out the, what the premium notebooks offer I talked about at the top of the show any questions reach out to jeff or i or matt or dave nakano um, i'll be gladly able to explain it all for you but you get all three notebooks for 9.99 it is the best way to support us and help us continue to do what we do here so jeff any final parting shots here to close out this first 2022 nfl draft report oh man uh it was just notebook release day was one of the best days last week for me that was so much fun um loved seeing everybody excited as they were opening up their notebooks and you know the more i think about it uh, I think the more more I realize it, it's probably one of the top values. You know, $9.99 is a one-time payment to get all these notebooks that are updated for you throughout the entire year, including the rankings and the Debbie rankings and the scouting notebooks. So, you know, it's it's like a year subscription for $10 and you're getting, you're getting the type of content that you'd be paying five bucks a month or whatever other sites charge you for. So... You know, do it for us. Keep us going. Um, we love doing it. We love talking football. And I think you're going to love them. So, yeah, notebook day. Absolutely, guys. We greatly appreciate it. We put everything back into S2S to help us continue to do what we do here for you. So, again, if you've been a longtime listener uh, but haven't tried the notebooks, uh, we hope that maybe this is the year uh, you consider it. So, on behalf of Jeff. On behalf of our sound tech engineer, David Nakano, and myself, thank you for joining us. Enjoy week two of the college football season and opening week of the NFL season. And then we'll be back next time to take you from Saturday to Sunday.